This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. The Lord Jesus declared in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Now, that was a revolutionary and some believed blasphemous declaration that this man would proclaim himself to be God. And yet we do know Jesus is God, God the Son, and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are the other two persons of the Trinity, one God in three persons. We also know the Trinity is clearly revealed in Scripture, but it's also a deep mystery with no adequate analogy to explain it. If you have kids, You know that that's the truth. Yet in considering some of the deep questions many have about God's attributes, there are answers to be found by understanding the nature of the Trinity. And that's what my next guest has done in his latest book. So joining us today is Dr. Vern Poitras, Distinguished Professor of New Testament, Biblical Interpretation, and Systematic Theology at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. His book is called The Mystery of the Trinity, A Trinitarian Approach to the Attributes of God. So good to have you with us, Dr. Poitras. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Sure thing. Well, why do you think it is important to do it this way, to explore God's attributes through a specifically Trinitarian approach? Yes, that's a good question. But uh, over the centuries, when people have gotten into, been influenced by unbelieving philosophy, then they've tried to deal with God, as it were, in the abstract. Let's just reason out what God is like. So they may end up saying, well, God is all-powerful, and He is infinite, and He is unchanging. They may get a few things, but they don't get them quite right, (laughs) because they can't properly understand how God relates to us and how He's able to create a world. That involves things that are differentiated within God. For instance, when God creates the world, he does it by speaking. Well, the speech of God can, in a sense, be distinguished from God, and yet it issues from God. Well, that goes back to the fact that God is one God in three persons, and the second person is called the Word. He's the speech of God. So that actually helps us with understanding how God can be the same and create the world. Well, that's a good point. You're right, because the more we look at the three persons and the one God in the Trinity, the more we can see different angles on God and why things are true. And and you're totally right about that. But when you're looking at some of these attributes, you focus on some very important attributes of God, things like his immutability, his omniscience, his omnipresence, even his simplicity. Now, on the issue of divine simplicity, what is that doctrine? Because people will say, for example, God is not simple. How, what is divine simplicity? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> well, it's perhaps not a good label in some ways. It's become a technical term. So when you hear somebody say God is simple, they don't mean what the ordinary person thinks yeah. uh, you mean, because the ordinary person means, well, simple to process, right? Simple to understand. Yeah. Um, but simplicity is actually the opposite of having parts. 
So you can't cut God up into parts. <laughs> and the persons of the Trinity are not three parts of God who together make up one God, yeah. because that would make each one of them a third of a God. Right? That's blasphemous. You know, when it says that the Word was God, for instance, in John 1, it's not saying he's a part of God, but that he is God. Yes. Yes. And that's much harder to process for us, because God is infinite, and we can't understand him exhaustively, fully, comprehensively. So it's easy for people to fall into a picture where they picture three parts of God. When God doesn't have parts. An apple, you can cut it up into three parts or more parts, right? Right. You can't cut God up, partly because he's a spirit. He's not uh, spatially, um, you know, confined the way an apple is. But in addition, even conceptually, you can't cut him up into concepts that would lie in back of him. So we say, for instance, that God is unchangeable or that he is eternal. The idea of eternality or the idea of unchangeability is not something in back of God that already exists, and then suddenly God comes into the picture and he's forced to conform to something outside of him, because mm. that would be, to be for him to be less than God. He is ultimate. Right. He is who he is. So eternity is not something in back of God, but just one aspect of who God is. So that's important, too. And you'd say, well, the average person doesn't worry about this, and it's just as well. But again, philosophers, when they get into this kind of thing, they're tempted to look for something in back of God that would be a more ultimate explanation of who he is. Mm -hmm. Well, such a more ultimate explanation doesn't exist because God is ultimate. But you can get yourself into trouble about that. And so the, the word simplicity is meant to guard us from doing that kind of thing and to say, no, you can't break him up conceptually either into concepts that would be more ultimate than who he is. Right. But I should say the, the idea of God's simplicity has been defined in several different ways. And part of the problem is that some of the definitions bring in some bad philosophy and make God inaccessible to us. Yes. Yeah, you're right. And and you get into that in your book. And you're also addressing these questions. I'm not sure if we'll be able to get to all of them. I would love to, but we've got limited time. One of which is, how can God be independent and yet have relations to the world and the things in the world? I mean, how should we understand this premise that God is independent. Obviously, he has no need of anyone or anything, and yet he does have a relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. Some people do wonder about that. If, if God doesn't need anybody, why are we here? Right. Well, one answer is to say that there are relations between the persons in God. So the Father loves the Son and gives the Holy Spirit to him eternally. This is all mysterious. But the relations in God are the foundation for the fact that God can manifest who he is in relations to us. He can establish relations to us because that's in accord with who he already is. Now, that's mysterious, but it's true. Now, if you want, you can use a human analogy in saying, hey, we're finite, so it's not, it is an analogy. We're not God and we never will be. But if you think of a mature person who's well-established, who's, who's um, 
grown into a full and rich personality and who has confidence in who he is, that kind of person is actually more able to establish fruitful relationships with other people Hmm. because he's stable in who he is. Well, that's a kind of analogy to say it's precisely because God is independent, that he's stable in who he is, that he doesn't have needs that he can establish wonderful relations with us. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. What about the aspect of God's love? Would you find any kind of a Trinitarian explanation for that question? Oh, yes, because it is said in uh, John 3, 34 and 35, and, and John 5 as well, right in the Bible, the Father loves the Son, and it's an eternal reality. So love existed in God, and love between the persons as well as our ability to say God is love, right? Uh, That existed in God before ever there was a world. Sometimes people make the mistake of saying, well, God had to make a world because he needed somebody to love. No, he didn't. (laughs) There's already eternal and infinite love among the persons of the Trinity. Yeah, do you then sometimes get a joker saying, how can God love himself? Isn't that narcissistic? I mean, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who's tried to raise that point kind of blasphemously, but is that a problem at all philosophically? Uh, Well, it isn't from a standpoint of the Bible's teaching. And again, people, if, if they think independently of God and they try to work out as if our minds could dictate who God is, then they can tie themselves in all kinds of knots. True. But if we see, we just begin by saying, who does God show himself to be? Then, of course, he's going to love himself because he's perfectly lovely. Exactly. Right? That's the only thing. But, but that, that it doesn't compete with the fact that he loves us. And it goes back to what you yourself said, that he doesn't have any needs. The person who is a needy person tends, if they try to love people, it tends to be a kind of clinging and exploitive type of thing, which isn't yep. really love at all. Hang on a moment. We'll come back with Dr. Vern Poitras. Stay with us. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Mabel walks 18 miles to church every Sunday. She lives in Zimbabwe, where churches are widely scattered in remote regions of this African country. That's one reason why she travels so far. The other reason she walks nine miles each way is that the gospel has truly captured her heart. After coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Mabel reads and studies her Bible, and she's discovered that the gospel is meant to be shared with others. So with the help of Bible League International, she's learning to share her faith, and she's helping to see a church develop closer to her village. Bibles are desperately needed in Africa and around the world right now, and you can send one to a Bibleist believer today for only $5, or $50 will send 10 Bibles. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at Janet Mefford. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. A burning issue worthy of public discussion across America is expanding the Supreme Court. Our government was designed to have three independent branches for an effective system of checks and balances. Court expansion would undermine the independence of the judiciary branch and make it a political arm of the legislative branch with partisan results. Watch a new video on the critical importance of the Supreme Court in ending abortion. Visit lifeissues.org and click on the top banner. 
Hi, this is Janet. It's been exciting to see so many of you help our ministry partner, Heart for Lebanon, this month. We had a goal to help bring the hope of Jesus to 100 families, and I'm so pleased to be able to tell you that to date, over 200 families have been served. We thank God for those of you who participated, but if you didn't have a chance to invest in what God is doing there, it's not too late. Just call 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499, or there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Dr. Vern Poitras from Westminster Theological Seminary, where he serves as Distinguished Professor of New Testament, Biblical Interpretation, and Systematic Theology. He's out with a great book called The Mystery of the Trinity, A Trinitarian Approach to the Attributes of God. And Dr. Poitras, I have to apologize. I shouldn't ask those kinds of questions when we have just a few seconds before we have to go to the break. I apologize for that. But there's just so much to discuss here, a Trinitarian explanation for all of these attributes of God that you're addressing in this book. But another question that you delve into in this book is the question of how can God be immutable, that is, unable to change, and act toward the world? So are there boundaries around God's immutability? Would you say it's indicative more of God's character than his actions? Because clearly he's not able to change. I, the Lord, do not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Bible says. And yet God is active in his world at the same time. How should we understand immutability and how does the Trinity give us a a better picture of of the resolution, I guess, to this question? Yes, well, that's a big question. For instance, in Psalm 102, that ends up in saying, you are the same and you're years have no end, affirming the sameness of God throughout, the, um, uh, throughout all time. But that same psalm uh, praises God for having created the world. Hmm. <laughs> so in the Bible, there's, there's really no tension between those two things. And the ultimate reason is found, as you have already mentioned, in the Trinitarian character of God that there's eternal activity of love and eternal activity of the Father speaking the Son. And that kind of activity, which is absolutely uh, compatible with God being unchanging because it's eternal activity. It's out of that activity that we see also differentiated activities in the world. Now, again, you can use a human analogy and say, again, the person who is an adult person who's got a rich and fully developed personality, that is the person who is stable in himself, who's faithful, right, that we can count on to, to tell the truth and to be, be uh, come through with his promises. It's that kind of person who is able uh, richly to interact with the world. Yes. And again, you can use the example of, for instance, God being um, a God of justice, that he's going to reward uh, the good and punish the evil, consistent with his being the same God. So he's going to do different things at different times, precisely because he is the same. Yes. So, so really, you know, when you think about it in a biblical way, actually many of these things that seem to be problems, they sort of dissolve, and you say, well, that isn't really a problem because of who God is. 
True. That's a good point. And you know what else pops into my head is you think about Psalm 110, where it says the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Talking about thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then you have other verses where it talks about God repenting. You know, Genesis 6, 6, God's repentance for making man on the earth as it repented the Lord, it says in one translation. And people will read those verses and say, how could God repent? God has nothing to repent of. So is that part of this bigger picture as well? Right. Well, one of the problems here is that we've got a record. One of the challenges, I should say, is we've got to recognize that when the Bible uses a word with respect to God, it's not going to mean exactly the same thing as we associate it with every instance of human repentance or relenting. Some of the translations are different, but it basically means God is doing one thing, and then he comes to a point, and he reverses and goes in a different direction and does something else. Right. But, of course, that's partly because the situation has changed. Yeah. And so, again, when a just God is going to, in evaluating situations, he's going to do different things at different times. One of the famous instances that I actually deal with in my book is in First Samuel chapter 15, because it talks about that uh, God is regretting that he made Saul king, And then a little later, in the same chapter, it says that God does not have regret. Hmm. Twice it says it. And and so what do you do with that? Well, it's clear that God has put that whole chapter together, and there are actually four verses that use the language of regret, and two of them he doesn't regret, and the other two he does regret. Well, God put that passage there as a whole in order that we would look at it very carefully and say, look... There's different contexts for those statements. And once we try to sort out what does it mean in context and not just say with a general reaction, well, make up your mind, does he regret something or does he not? It, look at the context and what's happening, and you'll see that the earlier statement where God regrets that he made Saul king is basically part of a judicial evaluation. Hmm. It's, it's in the light of the failure of Saul and his behavior as king. Now, of course, God knew from the very beginning what would happen. But there, at that point in, in uh, the, the text, he is standing as judge evaluating what Saul has done. And so he's going to remove him from the kingship. So that isn't exactly, it isn't like, and this is the other thing, it isn't like a man regretting, because typically when we say, oh, I regretted that decision, it's because we have further information. And that we didn't have, and we say, well, you know, if I'd known what I knew now, <laughs> right. then I would never have made such such a decision, right? I regret that decision because I was a finite person who didn't have the information that I should have had. Well, God is not like, it's not like us in that dimension, right? Because he already knows everything. Yeah. But he is saying he's evaluating things in terms of what has already happened, so it's you got to go into a passage taking account a lot of context. And sometimes there are passages, and I think God, of course, he knew what he was doing. He put that chapter there, and it's a challenging chapter. He knew that people would look at it and say, what's going on here? 
<laughs> so it's actually an invitation to kind of slow down and take it carefully and think what is actually being said here. Right. Context matters and understanding the greater picture of what's being said in that chapter, as you said, matters a lot. As does this point of analogical language, which is what you talk about when you're answering this question about how descriptions that some people see as unworthy of God could be used to describe him in Scripture. That's what you're getting at. Um, something else that I think is very intriguing is the question that you address, how can finite man truly know the infinite God? Now, when you are giving a Trinitarian answer to that question, obviously the incarnation comes into play, right? Because God became man, so there the infinite became finite, and yet he's still infinite. How do you take that one and and answer that for people who truly don't understand how we can know an infinite God if we are, in fact, finite? Right. Well, yeah, excellent question. And again, there are going to remain mysteries here. But one of the aspects is, even before the incarnation, and that man was made in the image of God. That's Genesis 1. Yes. yes. So we're not like animals. We have, we have many capabilities that are superior to the animal kingdom. But one of them is our capacity for religious relationship and our capacity for deep knowledge. So you can say it's precisely because God made us, crafted us from the beginning to be recipients of knowledge of him. He knew what he was doing. Hmm. Now, we can't sort of step behind the curtain, as it were, and pretend that we are God so that we could see in detail exactly what that means. I mean, that's the temptation to be God. We'll never (laughs) be God. We'll never understand things to the very bottom. But can we accept, because we trust God, can we accept yeah, he made me with this kind of capacity. And as people read the Bible and they ask God himself through the Holy Spirit, they ask God himself, help me to understand this, people find more and more they do understand, right? So they gain in confidence, actually God is showing me who he really is. Right? Not on the level so that I could could be God uh, and know him as as only he knows himself, but on the level of I really have confidence that God has shown me what kind of God he is, who he is. And Jesus, uh, in uh, John 17, does something similar. He says, this is eternal life, that they, they know, that is the disciples, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And yes. then he goes on to talk about the fact that I have given to the disciples the word which you gave me. Yes. So that's about as intimate a promise as you could imagine that that Jesus has given to us the very words that the Father has given to him. Trust those words. Yeah, right. That's real. Right, it is. And the Holy Spirit, his role is illuminating scriptures so that we may understand it. Yes. Yeah. So this is important. I think this is a really important subject, actually, because I think of what the Bible says about eternity in our hearts. I mean, we are finite, but yet we will have eternal life. So we're not God. We could never become God. But there is an infinite component because we are created in God's image in the first place. Right. There's a relationship that's, that God has made possible. Yes. With who he is as the infinite God. Yeah, that's right. Do you feel that when we're talking about the mystery of the Trinity, that it's important to emphasize the confines of the Bible, not going beyond the confines of the Bible in order to discern the mystery of the Trinity? Because this is where we sometimes fall into a trap, don't we? Trying to understand God, his ways are not our ways. There's a sense in which we cannot completely fully understand him as human beings. 
right. Yeah, it's a difference between obedience to God, where you trust Him and saying, I really trust that you've given me the lowdown, so to speak, to use an American <laughs> expression, right? The lowdown on who you are, particularly in this climactic revelation in Christ. Does that give us the real God, or are we satisfied with that, or are we looking for something more? Really good. If we're looking for something more, then we'll go outside the Bible or underneath the Bible or, you know, some kind of extra thing, and then we get ourselves into trouble. We sure do. Well, it's a great book, The Mystery of the Trinity by Dr. Vern Poitras. Check it out. It's just fantastic. And so good to have you with us, Dr. Poitras. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. God bless you. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I find it absolutely amazing that AP now calls elections. It's incredible. These media outlets call elections now. I know this because Russell Moore is referring to Joe Biden as the president-elect. Does he know anything about how the election process actually works? Does he know anything about what has to happen along the lines uh, after the polls closed, how we actually get the candidate to become the president-elect? There are things that have to happen, like real votes have to be counted and irregularities have to be taken care of. And in this case, massive lawsuits have to be litigated, not to mention the fact that you have to have the electors actually voting and then it has to be certified by Congress. No, 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 no. Big Eva, the evangelical elites who you know were all excited to get Biden in the White House, they're so psyched. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But first, I want to start with some of the big news over the weekend pertaining to the massive election fraud that we've seen. I am so tired of going on Twitter and seeing all of these little messages from Jack Dorsey and company correcting people. There is, you know, you know, the little exclamation points and this is not true. This is not true. This hasn't been fact checked. Nah, 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 nah. And, you know, it's total evidence. There's there are videos of people like these post postal workers saying my supervisor told me to backdate the ballots. You've got several of these. You've got all kinds of videos. We played some of the audio of this last week, but here's some of the latest. This was via the Gateway Pundit. This Michigan GOP chair gave an update on the election, and this is incredible. A so-called computer glitch fix in one of Michigan's counties has led to 6,000 votes switching from Trump to Joe Biden, and now the head of the Republican Party in that state has asked for an additional 47 counties to be recounted after the fix, since these 47 counties also use the same Dominion software. It's incredible. So 6,000 people voting for Donald Trump actually voted for Joe Biden because of this glitch. Not only that, but Dominion software is used in 20 Eight U.S. states, including every single one of the battleground states. Does that bother you as a potentially disenfranchised voter? It would bother me. 
Nobody should be disenfranchised. I think every American ought to be able to vote for the candidate of his choice. But you ought to be able to have your vote count for the person you wanted, not for the other person. And you bet the left would be going crazy if something like that happened to Joe Biden. 6,000 Biden votes suddenly went for Trump. They'd go nuts. They went nuts over hanging chads in Florida in 2000. Are you kidding me? They'd be going berserk, more berserk than usual because they're always berserk. So that's one issue. But I want to play some of the interviews that went down over the weekend with Sidney Powell. Now, I talked to Sidney Powell not too long ago. She was General Flynn's attorney and just did a spectacular job vindicating him. She was on over the weekend talking on Fox about some of this software stuff and some of the glitches and some of the just rank corruption that's going on with this. Uh, talking with Fox News about this, this is what she had to say. This is cut one. Well, I'm delighted to hear that. I think there are any number of things they need to investigate, including the likelihood that 3% of the vote total was changed in the pre-election voting ballots that were collected digitally by using the Hammer program and a software program called Scorecard. That would have amounted to a massive change in the vote that would have gone across the country and explains a lot of what we're seeing. In addition, they ran an algorithm to calculate votes they might need to come up with for Mr. Biden in specific areas. I think that explains what happened in Michigan, where the computer glitch resulted in a change of votes of uh, about 5,500 in favor of President Trump, just in one of 47 districts. All those districts need to be checked for that same, quote, software glitch, end quote, that would change the result in Michigan dramatically. Um, The same thing is happening in other states. We've had hundreds of thousands of ballots mysteriously appear for solely for Mr. Biden, which is statistically impossible as a matter of mathematics. It can all be documented. We are putting it into materials that we will file in federal court, and we need to seek relief in multiple states to enjoin the certification of any election results. Astonishing. When you're talking about this hammer and scorecard, by the way, No Q Report reports this. Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney discussed this. Hammer and scorecard are these programs that were designed for the CIA actually, before being privatized by the Obama administration. This is how it all works, according to this site. The Hammer is a counterintelligence surveillance program that's used to spy on activities on protected networks, things like voting machines, without detection. Without detection. Scorecard is a vote manipulation application that changes votes during transfer. And it is the least detectable form of election election manipulation because it works during data transfer between voting stations and data storage hubs. How genius. So you can't easily detect whether or not a vote has been switched because you have these programs at work and now they're sniffing all of this out. Now, Sidney Powell also appeared with Maria Bartiromo and she was asked, all right, could you walk us through what is going on? This is cut to. There has been a massive and coordinated effort to steal this election from we, the people of the United States of America, to delegitimize and destroy votes for Donald Trump, to manufacture votes for Joe Biden. They have done it in every way imaginable, from having dead people vote in massive numbers to absolutely fraudulently creating ballots that exist only voting for Biden. We've identified at least 450 
50,000 ballots in the key states that miraculously only have a mark for Joe Biden on them and no other candidate. If you look at Florida, where things were done right, you can see that that's how the rest of the country should have gone. But they also used an algorithm to calculate the votes they would need to flip. And they used the computers to flip those votes from Biden, to, I mean, from Trump to Biden and from other Republican candidates to their competitors also. I think Doug Collins had the race stolen from him. I think uh, John James had his race stolen from him. It wasn't just President Trump. There were many people affected by this. We have got to fight tooth and nail in federal court to expose this abject fraud and the conspiracy behind it and get a recount. And and audits in every place it's needed, which is, frankly, most of the country. She's absolutely right. Did you catch that, that Democrats manufactured 450,000 votes in battleground states that miraculously only had a vote for Joe Biden? But we're supposed to say, wow, Biden is so overwhelmingly popular with the American people. You could tell by how many people showed up at his rallies. What was it, five people, 10 people standing in their circles? Really? We're supposed to buy this. We're supposed to buy that this was all on the up and up with all of this mounting evidence. In fact, it's not going to stand. And this was the biggest bombshell of all when she discussed the issue of why aren't we seeing evidence of massive government investigations when you have this list of ballots with only Biden on the ticket in all of these states? This is Sidney Powell. Cut three. I don't know. We definitely should be. I mean, we're getting reports of all kinds of fraud. We've got a, getting an affidavit from a postal worker now who talks about having been ordered to backdate ballots. No ballots received after the polls closed on voting day should even be counted. We've got multiple states that didn't even follow the rules of their own legislature. That's a federal constitutional issue. There are at least three major federal issues here that will require the Supreme Court to resolve these this case. And when the okay. votes are really audited and the real votes are counted, Trump will win. He is the president and he is in charge of this country. Whoa. Now, ordinarily, if somebody made that statement, you would say, OK, well, we'll see. And you still have to say that. We'll see, because a lot has to happen between this moment in time and the moment in time when the Supreme Court would say, yeah, Trump's the winner. A lot has to happen. And we have a lot of disappointment in the background where we have wanted things to happen in terms of justice on all kinds of fronts, and it never came down. So we don't know what will happen. But for somebody like Sidney Powell to say that, that's massive because she has so much credibility and she is so widely respected as such a heavyweight in Washington as an attorney. That is quite stunning. So let's just say it ain't over until it's over. And we'll be back on Janet Mefford today. Stay with us. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis who are choosing between life and death for their preborn babies. Meet Sophie 
At 22 weeks pregnant, Sophie was pressured by her mother and boyfriend to terminate her pregnancy. After meeting with a preborn counselor, she found the love and support she needed. After I had that first ultrasound and I saw her and I was looking at the pictures over and over and over again, that's when I decided I was going to stand up to my mother and tell her, no, I can't do an abortion. Sophie chose life, and now she's awaiting the birth of her baby girl. Every day, Preborn is on the front lines fighting Planned Parenthood to help young moms just like Sophie to choose life. For a gift of $140 today, you can help to rescue five babies' lives. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Open enrollment is here, and choosing a health care program is an important decision for you and your family. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward health other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. You can find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Don't you find it incredibly ironic that you're hearing from the Biden team and the progressives, and it's time for unity. It's time for healing. Right. Well, we'll just forget everything that you did over the past four years to Donald Trump, the impeachment hoax. We'll forget that you ignored, you media types, ignored the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, which is a massive scandal. We'll just ignore the violence and the looting in the streets. We'll forget all of the violence that was committed by the left. We'll forget all the horrible things that you've said about Trump and about the supporters of Trump. Yeah, let's just snap our fingers. Unity healing. You know what they mean by unity and healing? Submit, surf. That's what they mean by unity and healing. I will be unified with my fellow patriots. I will not be unified with Marxists. I'm just going to say that for the record, lest there's any sort of doubt. Not only that, but did you hear about the Biden campaign spokesman, Andrew Bates, what he did over the weekend? I think it was on Friday, actually. This is a quote. As we said on July 19th, the American people will decide this election and the United States government is perfectly capable of escorting trespassers out of the White House. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a coup at all. There's no coup here. Now, let's get into some more on this issue of what the pushback is concerning the election fraud. Here's a story via the Washington Examiner. Uh, Rudy Giuliani says he has evidence that may change the results of the presidential electoral map. He did an interview yesterday with Fox News saying that the lawsuits being filed by the Trump campaign could reveal that up to 900,000 invalid ballots were cast in the state of Pennsylvania. That's huge. When asked whether or not he believes there is enough evidence to actually change the fate of the election, he said, we think we have enough to change Pennsylvania. We have people that observed people being pushed out of the polling place. We have people who were suggested to vote the other way and were shown how to do it. 
Giuliani described details of its investigation in Pennsylvania, which may translate to new lawsuits. This week, he alleged Republican observers in Pittsburgh were kept out of the room or kept away from the room for 24 hours where mail-in ballots were counted, adding that 135,000 ballots were counted during that time period. There's no fraud here. That's what some of the evangelical elites are saying. Al Mohler said that. Oh, no, 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 no fraud. And Russell Moore says he's president-elect. And J.D. Greer says, if you're upset about the election, just relax. You know, someday the United States won't exist anymore, but Christ will still be on the throne. As if these things are mutually exclusive. Because we're Christians, we can't care about what's happening on earth. It's just stupid. And that's just the Southern Baptist Convention. Then you had all these other evangelical elites out there. Congratulations, Joe Biden. No, oh, you're so great. We love you. You're fantastic. Oh, I can't take it anymore. These people are such a joke. These are the same people who've been shoving justice down our throats, social justice, but justice must roll down like, you know, the waters and, you know, all, all this stuff and getting in our faces about justice, 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 justice. Well, why don't they care about justice now? When there is such massive evidence accumulating more every single day that there was incredible election fraud in this country, massive corruption. I don't see these people talking about the need for justice now because they're in the tank for the progressives. And Christians are turning to these people. They're turning to these people for advice and for guidance on the kingdom of God. You can't even trust them on an election. How could you trust them on the Bible? I don't get it. I'm going to do more on this. There's a lot more for me to say on that score. Here's something else, though. Tom Fitton, the head of Judicial Watch, you know Tom Fitton, he is saying, this is quite amazing, actually, that according to federal election law, Trump won on Tuesday. WND has reported on this. President Trump was ahead on Election Day and therefore should be declared the winner. That's what Tom Fitton said in an interview with Lou Dobbs. Fitton, who recalled testifying before Congress that this vote by mail scheme was going to lead to chaos, argued that federal law requires that states shall select their electors for president and vice president on Tuesday, Election Day, and it hasn't happened. And he said, no one's been in court to enforce that law. Now, Sidney Powell said earlier when I played those clips for you, there, there are at least, at least three major federal issues at stake in all of this mess that's been unfolding since the night of the election. And if the Supreme Court takes it on, Trump could win. Sidney Powell says Trump will win if all the real votes are counted. And if the Supreme Court goes the right way, Trump will win. OK, we don't know for sure. I, I don't know. There was a time when I was really hopeful that Hillary Clinton would get locked up for what she did with her email server. That was an incredible injustice, what happened, because the deep state covered for her. Comey and Comey's out on Twitter with his Biden-Harris T-shirt and he's all psyched. And I'm thinking, you didn't do your job as the FBI director. You're such a corrupt human being. There's so many of them. There's so many of them. How do you keep track of it all? Now they've got this Trump accountability project. Something else I'm going to get into in a little bit more detail tomorrow because I don't have all the time in the world to get into everything I want to talk about. But the Trump accountability project, they're now taking people's names. They're compiling a list, an enemies list of anybody who is associated with the Trump campaign and donors and people who were on the payroll and all this. Then they kind of 
pulled back a little bit and AOC was talking about how, what are we going to do for these people? And somebody came forward and said, oh, the Trump Accountability Project. If you go on the GLAAD website, by the way, the the gay, lesbian, blah, 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 G-L-A-A-D, go on the GLAAD website. They've got a whole huge thing on the Trump Accountability Project related to the LGBT issue. I'm sort of calling it comically the revenge of big gay. But I mean, they're so mad because there's some of these ex-Buttigieg staffers who are involved on the Trump Accountability Project and it's payback time. What, what exactly did they suffer during the time that Trump was president? I don't know, because we didn't allow little boys to go into little girls' locker rooms pretending that they're little girls because Trump said, no, you can't send this letter out to schools across America and force little kids, you know, these schools to allow little kids to have opposite sex people in their locker rooms and their bathrooms because it's a violation of privacy and it's a stupid idea. Well, it's payback time. Here's something else. Dick Morris has a piece here. Dick Morris, formerly uh, with the Clinton campaign, but he's been quite conservative of late, but he has an op-ed here on here's how Trump can still win. A couple of ideas. This is from the Western Journal. He says, only the Electoral College or the various state legislatures can declare a candidate the winner. To base this decision on network vote totals and projections and to call Biden the president-elect is irresponsible. Can't tell Russell Moore. The recounts in Arizona, Georgia, and the other states are likely to go heavily for Trump. Most of the likely errors or invalid votes took place on mailed-in ballots. Since Biden won upwards of two-thirds of mail-in votes and absentee ballots, it's likely that most of the discarded mail ballots will be subtracted from Biden's total. The networks currently give Trump 214 electorate voters. Alaska, where Trump has led by two to one all week and is now more than half counted, will likely throw its three votes to Trump. That would put him at 217. Trump has likewise led in North Carolina all week, and his margin of 75,000 has not diminished. He will undoubtedly carry North Carolina. Like Alaska, the media will not call it for Trump to promote the illusion of a Biden victory. But with North Carolina, Trump's votes would go up to 232 electoral votes. The vote count in Arizona shows Trump's deficit shrinking from 30,000 on Friday to 18,500 on Saturday, with about 100,000 left to count. After Arizona is fully counted, it will go through a recount subject to the pro-Trump bias identified in an earlier point. Were he to win Arizona, he would have 243. In Georgia, Biden leads by only 8,400 votes, and that margin is dropping. Like Arizona, Trump may still win the count, and if not, would have a very good chance of prevailing in the recount. With Georgia, Trump would be up to 259. Wisconsin is tallied as having been won by Biden by 21,000 votes, but a recanvas is in the offing. So if that goes his way, he'll have 269. Then it comes down to Pennsylvania and it's 20 votes. And that's the place where I already mentioned that Giuliani has talked about the 900,000 number. So this is all this is all coming down. It's very confusing who can unwind it all. But the Supreme Court provisionally allowed ballots to be counted if they arrived before Friday, November 6th and were postmarked before Election Day and ordered late votes to be segregated. When Justice Samuel Alito was informed that the state had not segregated the late vote, as Pennsylvania's Secretary of the Commonwealth had advised, Alito made it an order on Friday. Very interesting. Then he issued, as you might know, a second order to segregate and separately count those disputed ballots. So all of this is up in the air. It's up in the air. It's not final. 
You've got Biden rolling out everything he's going to do on day one. We're going to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and we're going to get rid of the travel ban from the Muslim countries and we're going to rejoin the World Health Organization. We're going to reinstitute DACA. He's going to do everything by, by executive order to undo everything that Trump did on day one. Yeah, this is about governance, isn't it, for the American people or is it about payback? This is crazy, really crazy, but I would just say pray for this country. Continue to pray for this country. I don't think anybody would refuse to concede. I don't think Trump will refuse to concede if he legitimately lost. He should legitimately, you know, if he did legitimately lose, he should concede. That's the right thing to do. But we got to get all this straightened out first before we really know who the president-elect is or the president. That's it for me. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time here on Janet Meffer Today.